Right. So, um, so glad to have you here on our show today, Reza. And just a quick question because we've known each other for a number of years now. We have. And we have. I'm not going to introduce you because you've switched so many jobs in the last few years that right. it's impossible to introduce you. So right. why don't you tell me what you do? Now? So what do I do now? Um, so I'm a professor in political science uh, at the University of Alberta. Mm -hmm. And I specialize in Chinese politics. But as you've known, um, I've had a, many different careers and uh, many different experiences in the past. And uh, it's involved looking at uh, returns to education. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a sociologist at one point. Mm -hmm. I was in management school at another point. <laughs> so it's law a myriad, law school as well, mm -hmm. myriad, myriads of experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, it's looking at inequality. It's looking at mm -hmm. uh, different ways of uh, understanding inequality mm -hmm. from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you have a book come out of that, right? Yeah, I have a few books uh, on that. I'm writing a book on this right now, looking at the minority and the corporation. Okay. And uh, how the minority uh, um, experiences the large corporation in particular, mm -hmm. you know, from the job search, the hiring process, to mm -hmm. the promotion, mm -hmm. to even retirement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I talk about getting fired as well in the book. So okay. it's an interesting. And this is kind of like building on your, um, so your previous book is Ethnic Penalty. It is, it right? is. Looking at ethnic inequality right. in Canada. And this is kind of building on that work. Yeah. So it's not only in Canada, it's, uh, it's global in scope. Well, the book looks mm -hmm. at Canada, but uh, mm -hmm. it's another book that looks at it in the context of China. Mm -hmm. It's another book that looks at it's not research that I've done that looks in the context of Australia and the US and the UK. Mm -hmm. But you know what's very commonplace among all of them? Right. It's this idea that um, you know your education is not enough right. to get a job. You need more right. than that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's something we talk to our kids about, that mm -hmm. it's about networking. Two-thirds of all jobs are found through networks. Mm -hmm. It's about being able to fit within a working culture. Mm -hmm. It's about trust. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a myriad of things that go beyond mm -hmm. formal human capital. Right, right. So it's a lot. it sounds like a lot of it's because some of it has soft skills. It's soft skills, effectively. Right. It really is. And, right. you know... And I can understand on the one hand, if you work so hard to mm -hmm. get a good education, to get good grades and so forth, mm -hmm. you expect you're going to get a good wage, you're going to get a good mm -hmm. salary. Mm -hmm. But again, that's not how salaries are usually determined. It's usually determined in a very different process than your hard skills alone. Wow. And you could find this in your research. And the research shows it. And not only my research, there's mm -hmm. a plethora of research out there that mm -hmm. reinforces things such as confidence and mm -hmm. things such as trust and things mm -hmm. such as fit. And, mm -hmm. and these characteristics that are, you know, go beyond the traditional understanding of how to get a job and a high wage one. Mm -hmm. um, it all plays a role. So. We can get back to this conversation later. Sure. So let's, so I know you're not just ethnic inequality. There's right. a whole bunch of other stuff. Of course. Right? How about the children? Yes. How about... AI. Right, right. I mean, that's the stuff that you dabbled in as well, right? Yeah. So I've looked at energy, uh, the future of energy in, in, in the world globally. Mm -hmm. How can we get more academic research to support, more basic research, in fact, to support mm -hmm. um, you know, advances in, in, in energy and how we can have clean energy effectively? Mm -hmm. I've looked at uh, machine learning, how we can mm -hmm. improve machine learning to mm -hmm. improve society at large, mm -hmm. the ethics mm -hmm. of that. And, and right. Also looking at the well-being of the world's children, how to improve children's lives at the everyday, effectively. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing because it's really the young ages, you know, from zero to, to, to 14 are so formable. Mm -hmm. If you screw that up, you really set the path, a very negative path for their life course. Right. Or it's been a different way. If you make it in a positive way, mm -hmm. it improves and increases your chances dramatically mm -hmm. uh, if you're able to actually achieve um, a healthy kind of childhood. Right, right, yeah. right. Anything else other than those fields? Um, 
so that's what I'm working on right now. Right. Looking at NGOs uh, as well. NGOs uh, in China. That's NGOs how we in met, China. That's right? how we that's met. How we met. Yeah. yeah. Um, looking at uh, we have a paper on this. Yep. Religious NGOS. Yep. Um, <laughs> and just looking at um, you know the maturation of NGOs and social organizations in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few large surveys looking at China, looking mm-hmm. at volunteerism, mm-hmm. looking at um, you know why do people give philanthropy? Why do people donate and, mm-hmm. and conduct philanthropy? Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at citizens' expectations of the state in China. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a myriad of activities in China that I'm still working on as well. Mm-hmm. And you also look at migration. Migration. Um, so we're looking at irregular migrants. I've looked at that mm-hmm. in an Australian context. Mm-hmm. So looking at uh, people coming into Australia right. via boat, etc. Mm-hmm. We're looking at uh, what happens when a migrant comes to Canada. Or do they dehumanize themselves? Right. Right. So looking at their process of, of, of integrating and mm-hmm. so forth. Mm-hmm. So that's a project that's uh, continuing as well. So it's obvious you're a man of many interests. Many interests. I don't. I get bored easily. So you I get bored easily. Yeah, obviously, so, right? Yeah, uh, it all ties in in some form. But uh-huh. it, if if you can do all these different things, it mm-hmm. makes it, it mm-hmm. makes things interesting. So how do you juggle all this stuff? I mean, that's that's a lot of different hats you're wearing, and and <laughs> academics, right? right. The, the typical image of an academic. Right. You specialize in something. You basically drill at that. Right. For like the rest of your life. So there's but in your case, you. So there's two ways to go about this. The first way is. Um, you know, it's it's a very difficult path to do so many different things as an academic mm-hmm. because that's not the traditional path. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you think about the average academic, um, for them to get a PhD, they, they have to become very specialized in a particular mm-hmm. discipline, mm-hmm. and they generally go into that discipline and become the expert in that particular mm-hmm. sub subfield. Right, the guy. Um, the guy, exactly. Right. Um, I was given those pressures, so I, I, um, I was lucky. I did my PhD in the UK, where mm-hmm. um, with social and political science, which was sociology, political science, psychology, all mm-hmm. wrapped into one. Um, and this was at Cambridge. This was at Cambridge. Um, that program has shifted now. They've mm-hmm. they've they've gone the more traditional route, where it's you, spe- you, you specifically specialize in one mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. a, a combination right. of all. Right. Um, and I remember my supervisor saying, you need to choose. You need to choose either sociology or management or political right, science. Right. And I said, I don't want to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me that was, um, I, I, there's some pitfalls in doing that mm-hmm. because it takes longer for you to develop a profile right. um, in a specific area mm-hmm. um, to show that you are worthwhile as an academic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why I ended up publishing so much because mm-hmm. right, it was in three different fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, I was tenured in, in those three different fields. So... Political science, management, and sociology. Management. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So tell me about. Let, let's let's rewind it a bit. Sure. Who did you hang out with in high school, or like in, in your childhood? Sure. Um, so I went for a school for advanced kids. I think that's what the uh, polite way to say it these days is. <laughs> um, so you were in a gifted school. Uh, yeah, it was in a gifted program right. since uh, grade three. Right. Uh, prior to that, I was in a uh, an advanced uh, behavioral school. Uh, mm-hmm. I was I was a troubled child. A troubled child. A very troubled child. Because you were too advanced. Or maybe because I was too mischievous. I got kicked out of six different schools. Oh wow. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't hear this story. No. I, tell uh, me about it. Yeah. Um, well, my parents are, are, are to their great shame, and right. I guess now they, they kind of understand now, right? Because there's no manual how to raise a an advanced kid, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, yeah, I would uh, misbehave in class. I, I would, I would, you know, during playtime, I would like pick fights and and uh, just walk up to a kid and start like picking. Well, they would they would take my toys, and it's like, hey, you didn't ask, and you right. know, it's like you didn't ask exactly. Um, you know, it was. It's very mischievous. I just got bored very easily. I just didn't uh-huh. see the point of doing half these things. Right. Because right. I went from point A to point Z. I never 
the process is not something I appreciate until adulthood. Right, right. Um, but as a kid, you just, you just, if you saw how you got to point Z mm -hmm. without this process that you mm -hmm. learn, uh, it can be frustrating. You got to right. wait until everyone catches up with you. Right. Why? Like, it's like kind of like doing math and yeah. you know, show your steps. It's like, yeah. Like really? It's like that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I remember right. it's interesting you say math. Uh, we had Kumon math in one of our years, right, yeah. and it's just repetition and repetition. Uh -huh. It's just like someone, please, this is this is this is too much. I just couldn't. It's just I got the point the first time or the second time. Right, right. Um, don't need this repetition. So right. that's why I would have acted out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and got kicked out. Right. So your parents, I, I remember you telling me that right. you guys are immigrants yeah. from, uh, from Trinidad, Trinidad yeah. right? And uh, your parents, you know, you, got, you guys came to Canada. Yeah. You went to six different schools yeah. until they oh, finally... even more. I mean, the, the story is even more complex than that. All right. Um, so I went to, you know, I moved around a lot as a child. Right. And, uh, you know, went to numerous, numerous schools before then. And uh, when we came to Canada, I also went to numerous different schools, uh -huh. just trying to find the perfect fit. Right. Um, right. And if that fit never actually came, to be very frank. Even the advanced school? Even the advanced school. It was a program where you would, um, uh, in the beginning of, of the week, you would mm -hmm. say to your teacher what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You would write a contract for the week. And um, you say what your activities are going to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you would do it. I would finish it the first two days. And the last three days, I would just goof around. And wow. so... So it's very much self-driven. It's self-driven. so much autonomy. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And I think, I think they realized I needed autonomy at some point, mm -hmm. which is not surprising why I became a professor because you have pretty much full autonomy. Right. Right. Um, there's no real boss. You, you, you make your own hours. You, you're mm -hmm. driven. You have to self-drive yourself and motivate right. yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so in high... So... In elementary school, how I mean, you were were you years before your like your peers? Yeah, so I didn't go to kindergarten. I right. um, I I started. I skipped right to uh, what in, in the Caribbean they call standard one, okay. which is the equivalent of grade one, I guess. But so you were like five, and you were in grade I was one. three and a half, four years. Three and a half, and yeah, you were in grade one. Yeah, and uh, so your peers would be six, five, five, five and a six. half, six. Yeah, five and a half, six. Right. Yeah. Um, it was, again, you, you, it, I mean, when we talk about it, it seems mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. But mm -hmm. when you're a kid, and, and even to, today, age is not something I think about. Right. If you ask me what my age is, I actually have to calculate what my age mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Because you just do, you just, I guess if you don't know anything different, mm -hmm. you just think you're normal. Until right. you look back, and you're like, oh, this is abnormal. Right, right. Um, right. But it's a catch-22. If you, if, you, if you are complacent. That you're mm -hmm. so, you know, you've done things so quickly, mm -hmm. you feel like, well, why continue doing? You can just wait until everyone catches up. Right, right. Um, but right. that's not how I would I was socialized to think. Right. It's just socialized right. to do what you enjoy and right. be the best at it. Right. So you were you were socialized to be like be driven. Yeah. And even even like if you're like years ahead of other kids. It's not something going. that was was conscious of. Right. It just it was not even in, in the world my worldview. Just, of just, just keep was. doing you kind of thing. Just do what I have to do, right. and I, to be very frank, my parents they just wanted to make sure I wasn't in more trouble. So <laughs> it's pretty much that, right? Right. 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 It's just um, it's just hopefully he gets through schooling, uh -huh, and uh -huh. you know, and he actually finishes schooling. That's what they're concerned about. Right, right. Uh, they're also concerned with the social aspects, uh -huh. right? So, so tell me about life in this advanced school, then, like. Right. Um, were you were you there throughout high school, like for like elementary and high school? No, so I mean there were different advanced programs, different schools oh, so that had advanced programs, jumped numerous schools. Oh, yeah. um, so from elementary schools, as I started in grade three, grade mm -hmm. four, uh, went French immersion, mm -hmm. um, learned a few languages on the way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we uh, they put us into a program where um, the same classmates you would have throughout. Mm -hmm. 
so we never actually mixed with others at so some kind point. Of a court system. Yeah, in mm -hmm. many respects. Um, by grade nine, I was in grade thirteen. So in Ontario, they had a grade thirteen OAC year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in grade nine, I was already f I was doing most of my courses, save for P <laughs> um, was uh, was OAC. Right. So I started OAC in grade nine, and grade ten, I finished all the OAC courses in my school. Uh -huh. So the, you went straight to university. Well, at that juncture, the 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 the, pro, um, the counselors were saying, "Well, um, you you're you're twelve and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't go straight to university at twelve and a half. Why not? Um, well, they're child protection laws. Okay. Uh, so, in fact, I think in um, I might be mistaken uh, in in the particular age, but I think uh, for most North American jurisdictions, you need to get a background check if you're working with uh, minors. Uh -huh. And so okay. university professors do not get background yeah. checks. Right, right, right. So that's why I had to ended up going to Oxford um, because right. they didn't do the background checks back then. Oh, okay. So that's the reason why I ended up going there at fourteen. Mm -hmm. But um, I could have graduated at thirteen, but socially they didn't think I was ready. Mm -hmm. um, so in my, I mean, this is called my grade ten year, mm -hmm. uh, going on grade eleven year. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up doing grade twelve and grade eleven courses. I went backwards. <laughs> so like all the OAC is done. Yeah, just go work back now. Yeah, and uh -huh. it got to the point where my I never showed up to class. My, right. my 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 teachers were like, "Why are your grades worse off in grade twelve and grade eleven than your OAC year uh -huh. beforehand?" Right, right. Just like I just at that juncture, I probably was going to fail. Right, I was right. going to fail out of schooling. Right, um, and so they said, "Okay, you should you should probably go to university. Just move on. Yeah, just move thing. on. Yeah." Who did you hang out with in high school then? I don't. Ver I mean, I'm not threatening. Right. <laughs> so um, I hanged out with the jocks. Uh, uh -huh. Hanged out with uh, the athletes. Or I guess the athletes. Uh -huh. uh, hang out with goths. Uh, hang out with people musically. Yeah, yeah, musically inclined. Uh, okay. Hanged out with uh, the actors. I hanged out with the dweebs. Uh, you, you name right. it. Pretty much all the social groupings. Because again, it was non-threatening. Right. You're you're kind of like a social chameleon. Yeah. Right. Pretty much. Um, right. And it's helpful when you grew up. Is going in so many different schools. It's very easy to make friends. Right. It's like it's for you. It's just like, yeah. It's just it's like wh whatever. It's just you, you mm -hmm. connect with people in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. And if you have so many different interests, mm -hmm. from music to sports to mm -hmm. to you know uh, reading or whatever mm -hmm. it might be, um, you're able to find these different groupings in mm -hmm. schools. So and at these schools, you wouldn't be stand. You wouldn't stand out as you know being exceptionally young because everyone's kind of advanced. Well, advanced, but not young. So most okay. people were. I was the youngest. I was always the youngest. You were always the youngest. Um, but luckily, I had my growth spur mm -hmm. uh, at, a, at a younger age. So physically, I kind of looked the way I am. Mm -hmm. um, but people would have known. Mm -hmm. I remember I had uh, in my in my OEC year, people mm -hmm. would like, oh, here's, "Who's the young one? Let's take care of him." Uh -huh. You know, uh -huh. it's more like that rather than, "Oh, he's a freak." Kind of. <laughs> right, right, so right, right. I was a very. I mean, he could have been worse uh, socially. Okay. Right. So I was very lucky that uh, people mm -hmm. were supportive. And even in university, people mm -hmm. were super supportive. Mm -hmm. um, so after that, after high school, you went to Oxford? Went to Oxford. And then what did you do in Oxford? So I uh, was enrolled in, uh, in philosophy, and uh -huh. uh, so I did that for a year. And uh, a three-year program? It's a three-year program. I did it for a year, but I transferred okay. to Georgetown. Okay. Um, because at that point, uh, they were able to, you know, um, you know, the age was not an issue at that right. juncture. Right, right. So I went to Georgetown and uh, then came to Queens and uh, mm -hmm. so I transferred again and mm -hmm. you can see a pattern here in my own university career, right? Right, right. Um, so you didn't finish Georgetown, it was like only a year ago. Yeah, I only did a year and a bit, uh, Oxford a year and, and Queens a year. Right. And you were alone the whole time? Or did your parents come with you? Um, no, I was always alone. You were yeah. always alone? Yeah, yeah. So uh, wait, how, how did you survive as a 14-year-old alone in Oxford? 
It's not that, I mean, it sounds, when you, the way you put it, it's like, oh, how did he do that? Yeah, but yeah. it's like going to boarding school. It's like... Um, but there's no boarding program. That's the thing. It's like kind of like... But it is boarding, except I mean, you have more, you have system. more, yeah, but you have, you mean, you live in, in dorms, or mm -hmm. you live in colleges. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's a life that, it's just, again, you don't know any different. You do not think you're 14. You just think you're 18, 19 year old, just doing right. the normal thing. You can't, you can't go to the bars, though. Well, it's interesting that you say, uh, for mm -hmm. the most part, I was able to go to the pubs and stuff, right. but I never really drank that much. Um, I just remember one incident where it was a birthday party uh -huh. at the pub. Uh, it was the um, um, pub in Oxford. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was interesting. The college one or public one? Public one. It was okay. a public one. It was a King's Arms. I'm not sure King's you, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. King's Arms. Yeah, of course. And um, <laughs> it was at 9 p.m. and beyond, and, and, and the guy goes to me, um, you know, you're kind of young. I don't know if you, if you should be here. Uh -huh. And it's like, I'm not drinking. He's like, yeah, even still, you know, it's yeah. not good perception. So that's the only right. time it's ever occurred. Uh -huh. Mind uh -huh. you, this is two and a half decades ago. So it's yeah. a very different reality. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, but, yeah, I, I've never had any issues there after. So. Mm -hmm. But even in Oxford, I mean, there were there would be other whiz kids there, right? Or were you like the I never encountered. It's not like there's a club of us where we, where we go meet each other and it's like, hey, what's going on? Right, um, right, right. It's I was an unusual one because most most um, most people who are advanced at mm -hmm. that age are usually in the sciences. Um, uh, right. Because you usually advance quicker in the sciences than you do in social sciences. Right, because there's like there's objective truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and so some I mean people can peak quickly mm -hmm. uh, in the sciences. Mm -hmm. Social sciences was probably the only one, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. just because. Right. Uh, so. Right. So Oxford, Georgetown, Queens, yeah. and when did you, where did you finish? Um, I ended up in had a degree from Queens. Okay, so you finished. Queens. Yeah, then had a master's there again. Okay. And. Uh, then I went to Yale. I uh, I went to um, Yale for, for law, law, for law. Yale law. Um, did UNSW in Australia. I did a master's there. Uh, went to SOAS in the UK. Another master's there. Uh, Cambridge another master's and a PhD in the end. So, in Cambridge as well. In right? Cambridge as well. So yeah. you have four masters. And I mean, look, it, it really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not something I think about. It's not right, like right. it's you know. Um, right. Right. It's something you think in the everyday. It's not, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not the destination. It's just the process. It's just a process. But, yeah. but why did you do so many masters? Like, you were just interested in a new topic? It's not that, I mean, there's two pressures, right? The first pressure is who's going to hire a 16-year-old fresh out of undergrad? Uh, so that right. was had its issues. My first job was with USAID. I was 18, and that had its issues as well. USAID is? USAID is the U.S. Agency for International Development, okay. right. uh, based out of D.C. Mm -hmm. And uh, even then, people were like, who's that kid, and why is he working here? Right, right. And, and right. so it was, I mean, as I said, and I think that kind of influences the work that you do. It's like... It shows that it's not only human capital alone, because I had a lot of human capital. Right, right. It's the social aspects, right? Right, right, um, right. And that plays a role in the job. So there was like just a social mismatch. It's social at, mismatch. At places until you really yeah. became a certain age. Yeah. And it's become like socially acceptable. Oh, this guy is like in his 20s. Yeah. Then it becomes, it becomes normal. Right? Yeah, it becomes more normalized. People can trust you more. I mean, they would trust you, but at a certain level, they can connect with you. Tell me that story. Um, you told me the story before about... Um, you went to this place, and then this person thought you were an intern, and mm -hmm. it turns out you were like kind of their superior, right? Right. So this was actually USAID. Uh, <laughs> okay. So uh, I was hired, and uh, I was in charge of the Hungary desk, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, at the time Hungary was transitioning from a and um, uh, from a post-communist to a more market economy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was running the program there. Mm -hmm. This was the nineties then. Uh, this was the late nineties. Late nineties. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, it was interesting because, you know, on paper, I definitely look older and so mm -hmm, forth. Mm -hmm. um, but the first day I go in, uh, um, you know, people are like, are you here for the internship? Uh -huh. It's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm actually going to be your boss. or your boss. It's <laughs> nice to meet you. And it's funny because that happens often. It happened often anyways uh -huh. in, my, in my 20s. Not um, anymore though, right? Um, not as much. I get, it, get, it gets manifested in a different way now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, now they think I'm a PhD student perhaps sometimes. I still get that. I still get that. That time, uh, yeah. I was, so that time I was, uh, you, I, you were my examiner. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then, uh, but when you were there early, someone else thought you were a student. Yeah, and yeah. Even though there's no way you're, you're not a TAM. No, and it was, it was a, something I would never forget. It's just, uh, you walk into the room and, mm -hmm. and, and the person who you're, you're co-examining with says, mm -hmm. are you the student? And you're just like, no, no, I'm your you know, co-examiner. Right, right. But that still happens. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, I was just giving a talk a few weeks ago in Warsaw mm -hmm. and um, they thought I was a PhD student. I was not mm -hmm. the speaker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it still happens. Um, I mean, on the one hand, you, you take it with grace that you still look mm -hmm. young enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, you're like, well, at some point, I hope I can get uh, physical respectability, <laughs> shall I say. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's uh, on paper, as I said, I look like a 50 and 60 year old. But uh, yeah, but there's like, it's, you're a fully tenured professor when you were like, what, 32? In my 30s, early 30s. In your early yeah. 30s, you became a fully tenured professor. Yeah. And that's, in the social sciences, that's almost, that's usually happens in the right? 50s and then early, yeah, yeah, yeah 50s. Yeah, yeah. So. Like, like, like you said, in the hard sciences, sure. Sure. Yeah, right. but in the social sciences, it's very rare, it's extremely, extremely rare. rare. Yeah. And in yeah. certain countries, it's even rarer. It gets even older. Mm -hmm. So when they see you're a full professor, mm -hmm. uh, they, they look at you and it's like, how's mm -hmm. that possible? Right, right. Um, and again, they see it on paper and they mm -hmm. see you on paper, it's mm -hmm. just there's a mismatch. Right. right. And, uh, just to kind of segue into the sure. ethnic bit, right? Right. The fact that you're brown. Yeah. It also throws the public throws things around, around right? yeah. Because Asians or brown people tend right. to, right. the stereotype is they look younger. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, you know, being a prophet at Oxford for a few years, it was, yeah. it was, people never took me, I mean, if I go give talks and so mm -hmm, forth, mm -hmm. the, I always thought, well, maybe they're expecting someone with a nice British accent, very right, posh British right, accent, right, right. or uh, someone who can, who's super intellectual mm -hmm, uh, in mm -hmm. the way they profess themselves uh, mm -hmm. and so forth. Mm -hmm. But then they have me, and I kind of, not that sort of stereotypical, you know, academic from the UK, right, from yeah, an elite institution. Canadian accent. Canadian accent. I, I kind of dress down. Uh, I'm kind uh, of relaxed. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so... Uh, um, I think that's uh, that that play a role as well. So mm -hmm. there's signaling, and I think mm -hmm. that's how, if we want to intellectualize this, yeah, it's about the signaling, right? The signal theory. And the, so explain to us what signal theory is. I mean, to the well, I mean, I mean, in this context, what right. I mean is, um, you know, the way you present yourself uh, mm -hmm. can signal your, you know, uh, numerous kinds of characteristics about you, and mm -hmm. we tend to have stereotypes mm -hmm. about what those characteristics are. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for instance, if we say professor, we we think someone wearing a tweed jacket, right, or you right. know, especially from an Oxbridge institution right, right, right. with a posh British accent right, and um, right. you know speaking in, in, in the stars right, and when right. someone is talking to you in, mm -hmm. in the most plainest language and mm -hmm. uh, very down-to-earth I would like to think um, mm -hmm. you know you find that uh, it, it, it goes against that sort of signaling and the stereotype mm -hmm. that you normally have. Mm -hmm. You having traveled to so many different countries so right. you, you've been a professor in Australia, yeah. Canada, yeah. Uh, Oxford, you've probably Given talk, you're giving talks in China and everywhere, pretty, pretty much, much everywhere, yeah, and the, the states, yeah. Um, I mean, are the signals different in different places? Yeah, they are actually. Mm -hmm. um, I think you know, for instance, in in, in Asia, I think uh, the way you dress. I mean, I mean, that's 
irrespective of academia or not, the way you dress signals mm -hmm. respectability. Mm -hmm. So you need to be conscious of that. And that's, I mean, that's, I, I think that's unfair, even within the disciplines of academia. So for instance, I would teach organizational behavior and I teach organizational sociology, very mm -hmm. similar types of courses. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I would teach that. Mm -hmm. To my sociology students, if I wear a suit mm -hmm. and tie, um, they may, I may, might lose credibility. Right, right. Because uh, sociologists are usually more chill. Yeah, and, they want to feel like you just came out of the field, right? Right, right, right. right. You, did, you just came off the boat from Exactly, from X place. And, yeah. and you're just coming to the classroom. Right, right. Whereas in business school, um, you know, if I did the same kind of, of attire that I was wearing as a sociologist, mm -hmm. um, they would not take me very seriously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's not only a regional variation, there, there are nuances everywhere. And that's the signaling we we're talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think we need to be conscious of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it, it is. I mean, on the one hand, it kind of seems silly that I need to dress apart, shall we say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But on the other hand, um, we need to be conscious that uh, we don't want our message to be lost by virtue that people see you, right. you know, in a different way. So my message um, is what's important, mm -hmm, obviously, mm -hmm. and, and the work is what's important, mm -hmm. but it should not be lost. It's akin to when you train politicians. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, female politicians, you don't you normally train them not to have like dangly uh, earrings or, right. or anything big up here, necklaces, because right, right. people get distracted by that. Right, it's, right. it's not not to suggest that it's right or wrong. Mm -hmm, it's just mm -hmm. to suggest that's what people get distracted right. well, that, by. Well, that's the natural reaction. Exactly. Right? It's kind yeah. of like uh, I, I was reading some stuff about um, you know, on a table, you have paper, right? Right. If it's like really organized, your yeah. show is like you know you're kind of weak and agreeable, right? But if you spread out the paper, right, it's kind of like it's kind of like you know paper man spreading, right? Uh, that's kind of like you know I take up space, right. and I have clout, right? Right. And these are all kind of these micro signals, exactly, that exactly. Right. And we need to be conscious of that, and I think that's what, something we don't we don't take seriously in our mm -hmm. society, at least when it comes to getting jobs and mm -hmm. being successful mm -hmm. in your career. That signaling does matter, yeah. and we need to be aware of it, and we mm -hmm. need to be under, we need to understand what how others perceive us because mm -hmm. this plays a role, mm -hmm. and it, it reduces conflict in the mm -hmm. long run. Mm -hmm. So, how does this signaling um, conversation that we're having how right. does that apply to um, the ethic penalty or right. how, working in the workplace? And so on, right? Because obviously, you know, there's right. there's going to be some. There's going to I can see a very clear connection. Of course, an right. extremely clear connection. Um, mm -hmm. um, I can preface this by so the book uh, inspired a BBC documentary mm -hmm. looking at what you're asking. Mm -hmm. How um, how do I mean? And the documentary is called Jobs for the Boys. Mm -hmm. It was narrated by Sol Campbell, who was a ex football player from what Arsenal. Book is this? Um, sorry. What, what book? Is it? Your the book? ethnic penalty yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Penalty, yeah. Right. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, it and, and the entire idea was. You know, the way you present yourself when you go to an interview, mm -hmm. how you shake your hand, mm -hmm. how you, uh, your body language, the mm -hmm. way you talk, uh, mm -hmm. the speed of your conversation. Mm -hmm. um, the first 10 minutes, um, you can actually mute someone's conversation and then examine, you know, do I trust this person or not based on their body language, based mm -hmm. on how they present themselves. Mm -hmm. And the odds increase dramatically if you trust that person to get that job. So the mm -hmm. odds increase dramatically to get the job if you trust that person. Mm -hmm. Again, based on this sort of right. body language and right. signaling and so forth. So regardless forth. of the resume, regardless right. of like past right. experiences, right. do you trust the guy? Yeah. And in the end, that's what it comes down to. It's about fit and trust. Mm -hmm. um, remember, at, this, at the interview stage, it's really about that. Mm -hmm. It's about, they already know your hard skills. They can see it on the resume. Mm -hmm. It's about, can I work with this person? Mm -hmm. Can I actually relate to this person? Mm -hmm. And the research I've been looking at last decade and a half has suggested the further up you are, Mm -hmm. In the corporation, mm -hmm. um, the more you have to interact with people, mm -hmm. um, the more the more trust that's necessary. Wait, so what I'm hearing is, 
at the lower levels, the, like the grunt work, um, and that's the stuff that's also being right. at threat being to be replaced by AI, right? Right. right. Um, the hard skills kind of matter at that point because you gotta you gotta do the stuff, you gotta deliver. So, but once you get to the top level, right. it's the soft skills for navigating, the right. signaling, right. Uh, right. Right. different things that come into play. So I think I, I, I agree wholeheartedly there. I would suggest uh, to a slight variation. Okay. Hard skills always matter, mm -hmm. um, but be, matter less and less the further up you are. Mm -hmm. You still got to be very good at what you do, mind you. Mm -hmm. Soft skills do matter at the lower levels. Uh, because you need an entree to get in. Mm -hmm. uh, so to get that first job, you do need to be trusted. Right. Um, right. But the further up you go, mm -hmm. soft skills matter more mm -hmm. and more and more. And it's not something we train students mm -hmm. or we train young people to actually become mm -hmm. very good mm -hmm. at. Mm -hmm. um, it can be honed in. Mm -hmm. So how does this apply to the ethnic family? So when we think about ethnicity, right. we think about you know immigrants. Right. 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 And you know, and of course, you know, immigrants and and <clears throat> being ethnic doesn't. Doesn't necessarily have to be the same. No, you know, it doesn't. You can, like you know, in your case, right? Well, you're, you know, I'm both a visible minority and an immigrant. And, an immigrant. Yeah. Yeah. and in my case, I'm not an immigrant. Right. I'm born here. Right. But but you're you know, a visible minority. I'm a visible minority, right? Yeah. And so at at the working level, all right. these things come into play. Right. So I mean, like let's let's let's, sim let's simplify the conversation. Sure. Conversation first. What's the ethnic penalty? Right. And and, and how does it mix with immigration? Uh, well, and how does it compare to? Uh, and then gender inequality. Okay, because that's that's a conversation we've had before. It's all the same processes right. here. Okay, so you got to remember whether or not you're an immigrant or or you're a female or you're mm -hmm. ethnic, physical ethnic minority. Mm -hmm. um, to get a job requires mm -hmm. you having hard skills, mm -hmm. but to actually um, you know be the top candidate, mm -hmm. it has to be this idea that I can trust you. Mm -hmm. So the way the way it works is if I have if I'm the I'm the employer and I'm trying mm -hmm. to hire someone. Mm -hmm. And have very little meaningful interaction mm -hmm. with uh, a particular group, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's female, ethnic minority, or immigrant. Mm -hmm. In other words, I don't have any meaningful interaction. I don't trust that group because I have mm -hmm. very little meaningful so interaction. Minimal homophily, pretty yeah. much. And there's a lack of trust. Right. I'm going to I'm going to hire the candidate who I trust more versus the candidate mm -hmm. I don't trust as much because they signal to be in the same tribe. At least. And, and, I mean, that's one way to think about it. Right? And, and the way mm -hmm. it gets played out in the, in, in, in the sort of work is, uh, let's just say you have 10 productivity points, mm -hmm. and I have 15 productivity points. Mm -hmm. And suggest uh, you're, 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 you're going to an employer who has, in his entire life, um, been around someone like you. So he mm -hmm. trusts you more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, neoclassical economists. Someone sorry. like me, meaning... Your male, background, male, male Asian, Asian, yes, and my age, and your age, and, and socioeconomic status, socioeconomic status, as well as born in Canada, right? right, right. Um, so, so stuff like micro stuff like accent, exactly, exactly, and being able to talk about Dawson's Creek or whatever, exactly, exactly. Right. Um, you know, and you find that that employer is more likely to hire you, even though mm -hmm. you're less productive than I am. Mm -hmm. That happens over and over again, mm -hmm. and it's something that economists were baffled by until mm -hmm. sociologists enter the conversation mm -hmm. um, because economists would say you can hire me I'm more productive and you're losing what... money by not hiring me right but what they don't understand what economists took a long time to actually figure out uh, with sociological research mm -hmm. was people want to work with people they trust with mm -hmm. they're willing mm -hmm. to take that productivity hit mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, to work with people they, they enjoy working with this sounds like the the classical conversation of rational choice, right? right, right. That, you know, economists think everything is should be done in a calculated, right. rational, utilitarian yeah. kind of way. Right. Um, but when sociologists come in, it's like no emotions, emotions, trust, trust. exactly. This plays a role, major right. role. So, right. Yeah. So, I mean, if we're to slab a percentage on the ethnic penalty, right? 
how much are uh, how much are ethnic minorities being paid less? So for every dollar a non-minority earns, a minority uh, would earn seventy-five to eighty cents. Seventy-five to eighty cents. Yeah. Right. And how about and how about the gender inequality? A very similar ratio. Right. Okay. So what if you're a double whammy? You're a minority and a female. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't give you a double penalty okay. to the point. Uh, so it's still so seventy five like, like cents. You're, you're not down yeah. all the way to fifty no, cents. No. No. Right? No. You're not down. So you're still you're, you're still, still being penalized cents. though. Right. Dramatically. Right. Yeah. And is this like just an? Is this a North American thing? This what is global. It's global. So you got to remember, I've been uh -huh. doing this work in China. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this work in Australia, mm -hmm. the UK, mm -hmm. in Canada, in the mm -hmm. US. Mm -hmm. um, it's a similar process, mm -hmm. right? It's it's not uh, it's not a Western concept. It's also in Asia. So it's not like a, it's not like you know, um, you know, white power in in America. It's no. more like majority versus majority minority. versus minority. Right. Those who are trusted the most are uh -huh. going to get the best paying jobs. Now I want to push give you a sure, little sure. push on that, right? Sure. In China, for example, mm -hmm. or like at least in Hong Kong. Because that's where my background is. In Hong Kong, during the '90s or '80s and '90s, white people have had it pretty good, mm -hmm. right? They they had preferential treatment, right? Um, so how I don't see this. So would this apply, like you know, writ large, or like you know, got to be contextualized? No, it's uh, still the same concept, though, because. Okay. So let's just take it into the greater China context. Okay. Han Chinese, okay. they have the better, best wages relative to the ethnic minorities. Mm -hmm. We see the same case in Hong Kong. Uh, mm -hmm. So native-born Hong Kong people mm -hmm. tend to have higher wages than non-native-born Hong Kong people. Oh, so if people came in from China, yeah. even if they come in from Shenzhen and they right. speak with like... So there's always exceptions, of course. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and the exceptions is if you have a group that's there already mm -hmm. that has high wages, mm -hmm. they're more likely to hire their own group. And okay. that's how you, you see a, a variation there. But for the most part, you're hiring people who you trust. So if mm -hmm. Cantonese people have the best jobs, mm -hmm. high, high status jobs, highest wages, mm -hmm. they're more likely to trust people who they're interacting with mm -hmm. in a more meaningful way. Mm -hmm. So in the case of Canada then, for example, if in Toronto, uh, most of the Fortune 500 companies right. here uh, are run by white male, right. then they would naturally be inclined towards hiring so it's not necessarily. I mean, it's not that simple. You okay. gotta you gotta figure out who do they trust. So I grew okay. up with Italians, for instance. Okay. Um, and by virtue of that, I hang. I was hanging around a lot of Italians, and I trust Italians more than I trust non-Italians. Mm -hmm. So the trust actually that that's let's just say there's a default level of trust. It happens mm -hmm. in childhood. Mm -hmm. So who you hang around before the age of fourteen, for mm -hmm. instance, mm -hmm. your meaningful friendships and relationships at those ages. Okay. So that's, that's where why you're establish zero to fourteen. Yeah. Thing. Like the soft skills. The soft really skills there are so important. Right. So that you can predict. You mm -hmm. can predict so much. The odds of who you're going to marry, mm -hmm. the, the odds of your wages, mm -hmm. the odds of who you trust and don't trust, your unconscious biases, your implicit associations. Mm -hmm. You can mm -hmm. predict most of this from a very young age. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's interesting how those formable years sets the tone for future years. Right, right. So when you, so if you're, and, and why is it specifically zero to 14? Like, okay, so. Um, what's, the, what's the reason why? Like that's so there's a few things. Uh, at age seven is when the rational mind really gets developed. Mm -hmm. So before age seven, it's uh, people are very emotive. Uh, children necessarily are mm -hmm. rational. Mm -hmm. Seven to 14 is when you're developing that rational mind. So it's like mm -hmm. those building blocks of rationality get mm -hmm. seeded. Mm -hmm. So you're building up on those kinds of ideas. Mm -hmm. You build up on these schemes, schemas, shall we say, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, What's 
And the schema is like how, you, for instance, why do I like blue versus white, for instance? Mm -hmm. I may like blue because you know, at a very young age, um, blue was my favorite color, and I've mm -hmm. built up from that. Right. Um, so it's kind of like a script that you're using. Exactly. To it's a script. It's, a, it's, your, it's your first script. It's your very first script. And we all have these scripts in life, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we build from the scripts from our previous scripts. Mm -hmm. So seven is when you have that rational mind, when your scripts really become more and more developed, shall we mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and it continues on to adulthood. Mm -hmm. uh, from zero to seven is the emotional side. So you have your scripts there, and, that's, and, and your parents play such a strong role there mm -hmm. uh, because they're the ones who are signaling what's good, what's bad, etc. And, mm -hmm. and, and it, it affects you emotionally. Right, setting the values. The values, the norms, etc. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. those age categories, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I mean, this one of the things that we really look at in this podcast are mm. soft skills, right? Right. So for if you're to give advice to people who are, um, you know, not necessarily, like, it probably applies across the board for right. people who are in the right. workforce. Like, you know, what are the essential soft skills that will help people flourish and like advance and right. do well? Um, I mean, this is a difficult question. And what I would suggest, just based on the work that I've been doing, yeah. is you need to recognize that um, you need to understand how how jobs get uh, created and how jobs are, are actually are acquired. Um, it's it's about how wide amount of experiences as possible. Mm -hmm. It's being able to understand and traverse different uh, worlds, shall we say. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that in a tangible way is interact with as many people as possible mm -hmm. at a very young age. Mm -hmm. uh, give as many experiences as possible at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Socialize children in a way that let them explore their world um, mm -hmm. without prejudice, shall I say. What do you mean by that? Um, I feel like if we are socializing kids, we tend mm -hmm. to socialize them in a way that of course, our own norms and values and mm -hmm. our own experiences. Right, right. Uh, sometimes we need to, I mean, no, I'm talking very academically here, but mm -hmm. what I would suggest is this. As parents, it actually mm -hmm. starts from the parents. I think parents should understand their unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. They should understand their implicit associations. Mm -hmm. uh, understand, you know, what is it that their preferences are and what it's not their preferences. Because that plays such a strong role that gets carried on to the child. Mm -hmm. And so the child should be able to experience more. Mm -hmm. And I think that plays out in the long run because mm -hmm. if a child is able to experience and trust different groups and different mm -hmm. and different situations more mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. have that adaptability, they have greater long-term success because mm -hmm. they're able to fit in to mm -hmm. different experiences and, and, mm -hmm. and, and groups. Mm -hmm. So going back to the, what other soft skills then? So the soft skills is adaptability. adaptability. It's soft skills would be um, trusting different groups. Mm -hmm. Soft skills would be uh, uh, reading different situations and understanding different situations. Um, we can get more complex, but pivoting. It's okay, okay to fail. I, I don't think we allow children the room to fail in our society at large. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is through failure, you learn so much. Mm -hmm. you, it's, it's, in fact, um, you know, and I go back to my own childhood and my own experiences. Mm -hmm. Most of the children I grew up with um, never failed. They were told they were the one, you know, one percent, and they need to do something with their lives and and so forth. And um, you know, it's interesting when I look back now. Most do not actually finish university. The advanced kids. The advanced kids did not finish university. Mm -hmm. um, they weren't given the soft skills necessary to succeed. Mm -hmm. um, they weren't encouraged the soft skills. They were they were they were they were pushed towards these hard skills mm -hmm. and excel at that. Mm -hmm. But at some point, uh, it's a phrase my mom always uses. She always says, you know, you can know everything, mm -hmm. um, but what's the point if you can't express it 
to the to to any sort of group or a group of individuals, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you can have knowledge, but you need to express that knowledge. Mm-hmm. You need to package that knowledge towards different groups. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's a soft skill that is uh, needed in our society at large today. And it, it might reduce a lot of conflict and tensions if we are able to see the other side, mm-hmm. not necessarily um, agree with it, mm-hmm. but see the other side. Have that mm-hmm. tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, have that understanding of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, able to message mm-hmm. um, your own perspective by understanding the other. And mm-hmm. that takes a lot of time. That doesn't start from now. That starts mm-hmm. from a very young age. Mm-hmm. Right. And stuff like, so failure would be something like resilience. Resilience. Right? soft skill that you're talking it's about. A, it's amazing because the more resilient you are, mm-hmm. if you look at uh, um, people who have succeeded mm-hmm. uh, as entrepreneurs. So you're talking or, about like, when I think about resilience, right. I think of like Angela Duckworth's work on grit. Right. right grit. Um, resiliency is not something that can be engineered per se. It's something that has to be learned from a very young age. What I mean by that is it can't be engineered at a, at a later age in life. It can't be. It cannot. It's something that happens at a very young age. So it, at, least, at least the psychological traits that's necessary. Mm-hmm, it happens mm-hmm. at a very young age. It gets, those seeds get implanted there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, employers always look for resilient people. Mm-hmm. They look for individuals who are, um, you know, can pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're okay with failure and learn from the failure and move to something else. They can bounce back. They can bounce back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that, um, you know, it's difficult to teach children uh, because we, our natural instincts generally are often to protect them and mm-hmm. so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, give them leeway to fail. Give them leeway to experiment. Mm-hmm. Give them leeway to, um, you know, learn who they are within their context. From the opposite perspective, if you're a manager or a leader and you're hiring for someone, right. how do you identify these traits? Um, so there are psychological testings you can do. There, there's psychometric testings as well, mm-hmm. and uh, many some organizations do that. Consulting, for instance, they mm-hmm. do do that, um, mm-hmm. do those kinds of testing. Mm-hmm. So you can actually look for those kinds of qualities there. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end, though, you need to see a track record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the questions I often ask uh, when I was interviewing people was um, talk about failure and what you learned from it and mm-hmm. how, um, you know, you know what you can take from it effectively, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's uh, when people, I mean, again, it's kind of an interesting message because it seems counterint- counterintuitive because mm-hmm. we raise children to, you know, succeed and to mm-hmm. excel, to mm-hmm. be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel on the one hand, you want to, if you're always succeeding, you're not challenging yourself mm-hmm. fully. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, you, there's, a, there's a utility in learning from your failures. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's almost like if you're always succeeding, right. then basically you're always playing by society's rules today. It's not only society's rules. I'll give you an example. Um, I mean, if you can look at my CV and so forth, you'll say, oh, this person is successful. But mm-hmm. no one ever sees my, 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 my CV of failures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a much longer, longer, long Give me an outline of your CV. Oh, dear God. <laughs> ha- I mean, I don't think I have enough time to be very frank. <laughs> but, you know... We get as academics, we get rejected mm-hmm. so much. It's like a almost a weekly, daily occurrence. We get rejected from journals, grants. Um, you know, it's 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 our daily lives is a, it's it's more rejection than than, than success, mm-hmm. and that does not actually come across in the everyday. You might think, oh, this person is very uh, successful, mm-hmm. but it, it requires a resiliency. It requires a faith mm-hmm. that you're going to do. You know. You can learn from it. You can do better and better and better, mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm. striving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I, I'm, I'm, because I'm thinking in terms of, I mean, but doesn't this failure bother you? 
I mean, like for like for you, I right. I, I know you're. I mean, the fact that you're able to move across so many places right. in different right. contexts, right. Uh, have so many different interests. You know, clearly you're you're able to. I bounce back. Uh, you bounce back. Yeah. You pivot. Yeah. You pivot well, right? Right. So nothing ever rattles you, like. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm still a human being, but I think, um, of course, it does bother me. And, and, and I'll give you an example. I, uh, in first year, one of my first year courses, I took a computer science mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. I got 42% or something like that, something to that effect. I failed effectively. And um, I was like, wow, how did I fail first this? Year? First year, first year. Luckily, marks didn't count for first year. But right. uh, this um, is, this, so this would be in Oxford? This, this wasn't in Oxford. This is first year at Queens, my first oh, year. Queens. Okay. It's a first year computer science course. Okay, okay. Is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, it was not for me. And I learned that, you know, I, I, I have uh, computer science, at least in that spectrum, was not for me. And I learned that. It's something that you learn through experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's pushing yourself to see, okay, maybe I'm good at this and maybe I'm not good at this. Mm -hmm. Maybe these are some of the skills that I need to identify to be better. Mm -hmm. These are some of the skills I need people to help me with, mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm in an organization, uh, I should have partners or, or, or colleagues or employees who can mm -hmm. actually fill that void where I'm not very good at. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's the way you look at it. Yeah, it's a failure on paper and it's mm -hmm. a terrible failure on paper, mm -hmm. uh, at least in academically speaking, mm -hmm. but it gives you insight into you know your sort of your strengths and weaknesses and how you can actually adapt mm -hmm. and learn from it. Right. So that's what I meant. Sure, um, there's negatives to this, but you see the positives to it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you did work at CFAR. Yes. Right. And CFAR is you know does a lot of AI stuff. Yeah. Um, the future of pretty much the future of the world. Right. Right. Uh, in terms of energy or AI or right. anything else. Um, what's the future bringing for us? I mean, like. What's hap What's going to be happening in the next decade? If that's going to right, I mean, because of all these technological upheavals and all these disruptions, I mean, people are worried. Like I'm th I talk to parents, and yeah. like the parents are like saying, "I don't know how to prep my kid and all right. that stuff," um, or even like people who are working right now is like, "I don't know if I'm going to be relevant in ten right. years." Right. Right. What What should we, we do? You know, it's funny because we we, we tend to have a very short uh, hindsight. Um, this has been a reality since the dawn of human civilization. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is we've always had shifts and technological shifts and, mm -hmm. you know, we've always had social rate, shifts. But not at this rate. Um, I mean, the, the, the concept's still there. Okay. And, what I'm, and where I'm going with this is the idea that, you know, in terms of adaptability and so forth, that is um, the, still, the core things still are necessary. Mm -hmm. You still need to be able to be resilient. You still need to be able to pivot. You still need to be flexible. Uh, understand mm -hmm. opportunities that mm -hmm. comes in front of you. In other mm -hmm. words, you need to be a critical thinker. Mm -hmm. If you want to break it down to characteristics that children should have. Mm -hmm. Critical thinking, creative thinking, um, and the ability to pivot. Mm -hmm. The ability to have not only hard skills, but social skills that can complement that. Irrespective of the pace of change within our society at large, uh, whether it's a hyper pace or a slower pace or a pace nevertheless, you need these skill sets. Mm -hmm. And those who have those skill sets are generally better equipped to deal with change. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily, um, you know, if you're a parent, you need, to, you need to get them to learn more about AI and machine learning or this mm -hmm. and this and this. Mm -hmm. I would suggest very strongly focus on those soft skills mm -hmm. um, because it allows you to be able to adapt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if technology increases dramatically mm -hmm. in the long run mm -hmm. and the workplace is very different in the long run, mm -hmm. the capacity to adapt Mm -hmm. uh, to change and interact with mm -hmm. that change in a meaningful mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. That's something that kids uh, should be taught how to mm -hmm. do at a very young age. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like 
hard skills, it's a given that hard skills are going to keep changing. And it's the soft skills that allow you to keep adapting to Adapting that. to it. Adapting to it, embracing it, um, evolving with it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, pivoting with it, um, and, and embrace it. Mm-hmm. I think we have a, in our society, we don't embrace change very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, sometimes we should pause and try and think of the implications of a, a rapid pace of change. Mm-hmm. You see this with AI in terms of the ethics of AI, for mm-hmm. instance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we had this conversation like a, a month ago, mm-hmm. and you were saying AI has developed emotion yeah right yeah um what i, I mean, mean one of the things is like and one of the scary things is you know right. we hear you know, people people have been following ai for like a while right, right right um and one of the things that we're told is you know oh yeah ai can't replace creativity right. ai can't replace emotional stuff right Right. But you just told me like last month that AI figured out emotions. I yeah, mean, so, like, so what's AI discriminates. Happen? AI has this can be emotional. AI uh-huh. can be creative. Mm-hmm. Um, so explain that. Explain like how that happens first. Like the well, I mean, it's like any human process. So for instance, um, if we're looking for the best candidate, mm-hmm. or let's just talk about insurance, for instance. Right. right. Um, should I give better premiums to everyone? Mm-hmm. The same premiums to everyone, or should I give uh, different premiums to say young males and young females, or mm-hmm. older males and older females? Mm-hmm. If younger f- males are the riskiest category, I should give them a higher premium, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a rational kind of calculation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's discrimination. Right. That's right. actually that's positive. That's a, no, it's, a, it's a form of discrimination. Right. Right. So when we say AI discriminates, that's mm-hmm. I mean when it does its calculations, right. Right. It would suggest well. The odds are. The odds are this person is more riskier and mm-hmm. we're going to discriminate on that. Mm-hmm. AI can do that in terms of ethnic minority groups. If you use that as a variable, it can do that in terms of gender. If you use that as a variable, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So in many respects, AI is mimicking the way humans are processing these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are the scammers that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, the, the schemas mm-hmm. that we have here. And, and so AIs are built on schemas. They're built on previous knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And we build on that. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not uh, surprising that AI can, is discriminatory. So even in the case of like creative, uh, in creative work right. or critical thinking, I mean, critical thinking work and all that, like AIs, AI can't replace that. AI, it's not, I mean, I feel like we, that's the wrong conversation to have. It's not okay. about replacing. Because mm-hmm. the replace makes us feel like we're obsolete. Yeah, that's, um, that's what people are afraid of, right? But, I mean, humans are going to, are, I mean, we forget, we're the ones advancing AI technologies. Mm-hmm. But B, humans have their own sort of way of being expressive and, and, and can work in harmony with AI. Mm-hmm. Or C, humans can just go on a different pathway. Mm-hmm. Irrespective, we shouldn't fear this. We shouldn't embrace this. This is something that mm-hmm. is, a, is a positive to our society. It makes us better as human beings. Mm-hmm. It, makes it, it pushes our boundaries further. Mm-hmm. So it's not a negative in my world, in my worldview, mm-hmm. that is. It's it's a positive. Mm-hmm. What if like a Skynet becomes aware and starts, <laughs> right. you know, shooting missiles? Like, Too no. many Terminator movies yeah, for yeah. you. I'm, I'm, I'm um, just saying like, you know, that's that's right. that's the most obvious like, right. example that everyone can think of, right? Right. Um, yeah, is there, I mean, isn't that a concern or... I mean, it can be an equal concern that we have a dictator who, you know, presses the <laughs> nuclear button and shoots it and tries to bomb us, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's still replicating human kinds of miseries that can, pos- can be possibilities, right? Right, right. So I, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't, I don't not lose sleep over this. And I, I don't think most people should. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Um, it's, there are, it, I mean, look, it is a possibility, a very slim and remote one, but there are mm-hmm. safeguards, and equally so for human beings mm-hmm. uh, who have the nuclear codes, et cetera, right, et cetera. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I remember you telling me that it's, uh, 
what between continents there's actually tunnels of uh wires that connect the internet yes that's true that's and, true and we have to cut that off we can cut that off like yeah. physically cut physically it cut it off so we don't seem to realize the internet is a wired conception right so there, there are massive uh, uh wirings uh in the in the ocean in the bottom of the ocean that, mm -hmm. that creates an internet the internet right? the internet so yeah right. Right. So, I mean, in the end, can I just cut it off? It's a <laughs> worst case scenario. Pull the plug. Pull the plug. Yeah. EMP everything. Exactly. Okay. But right. we'll be fine. I don't think that's something we should really worry about. Right, right. Yeah. So you're talking about, um, I mean, these soft skills that can be developed. Right. Um, you know, and you say like zero to 14 is a critical age. Yeah. Most of us who are listening to this podcast would be way past that. Right. Right. So, um, is it too late for them? That's is what you're it asking. Is it too late? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what can we do? Being aware of your biases, that's uh, one of the most important things. But is it by definition biases? It's kind of like hard to be. So there's implicit mm -hmm. association tests you can mm -hmm. actually take. Mm -hmm. um, you can take a, do a quick Google search, type implicit association test. Mm -hmm. uh, Harvard has a very good uh, online sort of test on different spectrums in terms of age, gender, disability, et cetera, et cetera. And being aware, that's step one. Self-awareness. Self-awareness. Because in the end, there's not much we can do to actually, at least in an ethical way, to change mm -hmm. our, um, our behaviors mm -hmm. uh, in terms of who we trust and not trust. Mm -hmm. It's sort of built into who we are. Mm -hmm. uh, again, in an ethical way, we can actually modify it, but in an ethical mm -hmm. way, we can't. Mm -hmm. um, and so being aware is super important. Mm -hmm. I think that's step one. Mm -hmm. Step two is understanding how... Our behaviors, our, our sort of unconscious bias and implicit associations affect our decision making. Mm -hmm. So am I less likely to hire you mm -hmm. um, even though you're more productive mm -hmm. because of my biases? Mm -hmm. um, how can I improve my levels of toleration, my levels of, uh, of, of hiring better people, for instance? Mm -hmm. So step one is knowing. Step two is um, how to actually combat Mm -hmm. and being aware of, of, of your biases and mitigating them. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's all we can do, really. And some, some steps, in, if it comes to hiring, we have a diverse hiring mm -hmm. um, a sort of panel, mm -hmm. people from different experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's not surprising when you have that diverse panel, mm -hmm. they hire different people mm -hmm. than having one individual responsible. Because mm -hmm. that one person responsible, or if you have a homogeneous panel, mm -hmm. they're going to replicate themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But isn't there the argument that if you have like, I mean, it's kind of uh, it's kind of mean thing to say, but like, there's always the diversity hire, right? Whether right. it's you know ethnic minority, right. female, or I mean, it's usually these two are the most obvious right, ones, right? right? I mean, isn't I mean, isn't there the case that uh, there's a meritocracy and a diversity hire is kind of undermining that? I mean, what, what's your thoughts? Well, on here's that? the thing: there's never been a meritocracy. Let's just let's just let's just you know, let's deal with that right get, now. Get, let's get, get, that get that out of the way. Okay. Um, a meritocracy has been a myth in our society, and we've known that since our late, I guess, late 40s, early 50s, when there was work in Britain looking at class and meritocracy. Mm -hmm. So the, the certain classes tend to have, you know, the upper classes tend to have better privileges. That's what mm -hmm. they found in Britain. Mm -hmm. uh, meritocracy has always been a myth. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea here is uh, if there's a lack of meritocracy, mm -hmm. um, and in other words, what we mean by meritocracy is from your hard work alone, from your skill set alone, you should get the best job, best wage, etc. Right. right. So that's the hard skills. We're that's the hard about. skills we're talking about. Right. There's never been that. And mm -hmm. economists call us, us penalties. There's pen, there's a lack of returns to your education. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so females and my ethnic, visible ethnic minorities, or or non-native born people might be more penalized. Right, um, right. And so they have these penalties. 
the fact is, is that um, you know we, we need to understand in our models and the way we, we examine this stuff is soft skills matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you are going to hire someone who you trust. I mean, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Why would I work with someone who I don't trust? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about these unconscious biases and implicit associations. Mm-hmm. Being aware mm-hmm. is just a major step in itself. Mm-hmm. And taking steps such as having a, uh, a diverse hiring sort of uh, panel mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, with, with diff- different people with different experiences, mm-hmm. that can mitigate those kinds right. of penalties. So when we hire the minority, when we hire the female, uh, it's not, I mean, there's a risk of tokenism, mm-hmm. but countless studies have reinforced that it actually improves productivity and creativity and uh, advancements in, a, in, in most top firms mm-hmm. by virtue of having that diverse culture and diverse communities mm-hmm. within their hiring, within their, their, their mm-hmm. employees pool. Now, wouldn't there be a counter sociological argument against, like against that, right? right. And I'm and I'm thinking about, you know, the higher the degree of homophily, right, uh, which is similarity and different right. different traits or signals right. or symbols, um, the more you know togetherness there is, right? right? And so that's like the classical, so that's a classic sociological sure. question, like togetherness, you know, yes, right? togetherness, of course, within right. a working culture, and that's what you want in a working culture, mm-hmm. but you also want to have. I mean, a creative destruction, for instance. Mm-hmm. So for tech, it depends on the sector. So in right. tech, for instance, you want people who are not just like you right. or are thinking just like you. Mm-hmm. In banking and high finance, very similarly, mm-hmm. you want people who see things differently. Right. Who will scrutinize and critique it's, it's, the it's assumptions. Like, I mean, if you want to use sociological literature, you uh-huh. talk about George Simmel's Stranger. Right. And the Stranger was this character... Uh, this individual who would who would come to the city, who, who came from a different city, mm-hmm. and because they weren't socialized in that city, they would see some good things and bad things, right? They 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 didn't have these prejudices mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that people take for granted mm-hmm. within the city, mm-hmm. and so they were able to see the holes. They were able to see things that can be improved and things that were not as advanced. Mm-hmm. So hiring the minority and hiring the the, the stranger, shall we say? Right gives you that that resource that you're lacking within an organization. An outsider's perspective. An outsider's perspective, effectively, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a massive resource to that. Mm-hmm. And especially in, in this world nowadays right. where, like, you know, the world is getting smaller, transnationalism, right. migration. Right. These are all major factors. And just like, you know, transnational trade, for example, mm-hmm. right? And immigrants coming into Canada, entering the workplace and being able to see, like, you know what? This idea will not fly in China, per se. Right. Or it may not even fly here. You can do it better. Uh-huh. You can do, you can it, do better. it better. In the uh-huh. way, this is what we've learned in China. Mm-hmm. We're going to adapt it to this mm-hmm. context mm-hmm. here. Right. And right. we can see this with some, like a good example could be the, the bike sharing program. Mm-hmm. Uh, China's rolled out a very successful uh, bike sharing program mm-hmm. uh, in, in some of the major cities. Mm-hmm. It's reduced um, a lot of uh, congestion to mm-hmm. some great extent. Mm-hmm. We can learn from the Chinese from that, and you can learn from a macro perspective. I mean, we have there's a lot of solutions to local problems mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Having individuals who have that knowledge, that, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about the the? I mean, we can talk about the political the political climate now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How there's kind of like a swing back to the right, right, right. Um, towards more of a I don't want to say nativism, but um, Populism. Populism. Definitely. Um, Semi-authoritarian. Semi-authoritarian. Yeah. Uh, and just closing the, good old closing days. the borders. Yeah. yeah uh, reminis- reminiscent on the good old days yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
And that that's you know that's in the U.S. That's right. in, especially in Europe. That's in Europe. It's in the U.S. It's, it's in everywhere. China. It's China. in Australia. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. It's not it's yeah. not one locale. It's immune yeah. from it. So where are you, where are you seeing like you know where's the sources of that? No, I wouldn't say the sources because I, I mean the sources is pretty it's quite clear. Like is it's the global tensions and right. migration right. and just you the know, speed this, of change, the speed and of so change, forth. and then displace people who yeah. feel like we can't keep up to the changes. Right. 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 Um, or like and and stuff like you know the the tokenism the yeah. diversity right, hires right, like right, right. making the local people like oh yo like my skill is just as good as theirs right and, why is that person getting hired not me yeah like yeah. no this or something like affirmative action yeah right you know uh, oh like you know you have an SAT score of you know I mean let's just say you get perfect in your SAT yeah scores, you perf- right? if you're an Asian you get perfect on your SAT scores right. uh, I mean that's a lawsuit against Harvard right now right and then if you're black and you're and you don't get perfect. Hmm. But you're able to get in over the Asians because of the affirmative action or with diversity right. or a to- you know you know you get the idea. So this is a very big question, and here's the thing: mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that we're when we're born, it's a lottery mm-hmm. where we're born, and where we're born sets our life chances. Mm-hmm. So if I was born in a very different community, I was socialized in a very different community, I would have very different li- different life chances. I probably wouldn't end up with the way I have ended up. Mm-hmm. So it is a natural lottery. Mm-hmm. What affirmative action is trying to recognize is that this lottery does exist. Mm-hmm. So if I am, I don't know, say Trinidadian, and I, uh, I grew up in a very impoverished uh, community in Toronto, mm-hmm. um, and um, I am versus someone who came from a very wealthy, well-resourced community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have similar scores, mm-hmm. um, I would like to think that because of that positionality from the starting point, we would mm-hmm. want to, you know, try and encourage mm-hmm. a Trinidadian to continue onwards. And the mm-hmm. reasoning is not necessarily, yeah, it seems unfair on the surface level, mm-hmm. um, if the choice is between one and the other. Right, right. But it's, 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 it does two things. One, you've got to look at where the person's starting from and where, they, and where they're going. Mm-hmm. So a 1600 based on one versus a 1600 based on another is not the, equally the same. Right. Another way to think about this is long-term. If we're looking at society at large, because mm-hmm. we tend to be very individualistically oriented in our, in our societies. Mm-hmm. But if we're looking at the community at large, mm-hmm. we want to ensure that you know, resources of other groups are increasing tremendously. Mm-hmm. It, when, when, when impoverished groups, resources increase, Mm-hmm. Um, so, if in our, in our example, if this Trinidadian goes, you know, gets in and, mm-hmm. and contributes back to their home community, mm-hmm. those resources increase. Mm-hmm. Everyone wins out as a society at large. Mm-hmm. Everyone wins out. Mm-hmm. And I think viewing it from that lens, if you're looking at it from a community's lens, mm-hmm. it's uh, to your advantage mm-hmm. to ensure there's diverse, mm-hmm. uh, that you have a schooling system and a working system mm-hmm. uh, and employment that reflects the community. Mm-hmm. So it sounds more like a in terms of public policy, right? It makes sense. It makes sense from public you policy. Don't want, you don't want any specific group, right, um, to feel so displaced that they want to flip the system. So, you know, another thing I do looked at um, is looking at conflict and ethnic mm-hmm. violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and ethnic violence generally occurs when there's a lack of meaningful access to institutions, so you mm-hmm. don't feel like your your voice is being heard. Mm-hmm. Plus, low SES, low socioeconomic scores. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have that combination, low SES and lack of institutional access, it increases potential for ethnic violence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whether it's Canada or China or anywhere in the world, it's a very, very you know, tried and true kind of formula. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So we want to improve SES in our communities. Mm -hmm. We want to improve SES amongst all our, our communities. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to make people feel as though they're part of the process right. uh, in, in terms of our institutions, whether it's an authoritarian or a democratic institution. Mm -hmm. Uh, people want to feel as though they're, 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 their needs are being met. Mm -hmm. So in an authoritarian context, even though they don't have the vote, mm -hmm. if their needs are being met, they're okay with that compact with, mm -hmm. with, with the government at large. Mm -hmm. This is all very macro. Right? Very all macro. Right. Yeah, macro. But it comes back to the individual. The individual right. does not actually see these macro yeah, so forces. They don't see the societal exactly. forces. Exactly. So here's like, so I'll, I'll, I'll drag it back. Sure. I'll drag it back to, down to the ground. Sure. If we're looking at inner city Toronto, yes, um, or like downtown Toronto, right? You have a kid, um, Vietnamese kid, who came and their parents, you know, work at a. I go to grocery store. Right. The kid, and, and you know, the kid, you know, has to even work the till, mm -hmm. and but they're trying to study at the same time. Right. They get really good grades. They get very like you know they do very well in their uh, SAT because mm -hmm. um, they want to apply to an American university. Mm -hmm. Versus a black person who grew up in a middle class uh, neighborhood. And then they apply, and then the black person gets in because you know, and, and essentially they, he has a lower score, but he still is able to get in over that uh, student, that uh, Vietnamese student who came from right, uh, that kind right. of background. I mean, and, and she's penalized. He or right. she is penalized because of their ethnicity. I mean, right. at the at, like you know, at the individual level, that becomes very. It's a very touchy and sensitive issue, exactly, obviously. Right. right. Um, and both are in a t terrible situation in terms of from one standpoint mm -hmm. um, because it's, you know, when you have such few uh, openings at, 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 at elite institutions, mm -hmm. um, you do need to, um, you know, figure out what kind of class do you want. So I can tell you from the professor's side, when I've mm -hmm. been involved with admissions, for instance, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to have an admissions class that's as diverse as possible. You had admissions. You're at, you were in both at Oxford. I did that at right. Oxford and for undergrads for for uh, graduates. For, un, for graduates. For graduates. graduates yeah. right. um, and I also did that in other in, in Melbourne as well. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, in both contexts, you want to have a, a class that's not only representative of the society at large, but as mm -hmm. diverse. Mm -hmm. um, and different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnic groups, uh, different uh, gender balances, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, and it's uh, it's it's a shame because you can, you know, you you have say twenty thousand applicants, and there's a thousand mm -hmm. um, slots available. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for the most part, you really can't. I mean, you have such great candidates. Like mm -hmm. you, it, mm -hmm. it's you need to. Think about it, about who do you actually want? What kind of diversity do you want? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily, I and mean, it goes to that meritocracy. It's not mm -hmm. only about the score. Right. It's not only about doing hard work alone. Mm -hmm. It's about different soft skills. And that's where the personal statement comes, comes into, into play. play. And, yeah. you know, and you know, you, you yeah. sitting in these uh, committees right. where you select your graduate students, right. uh, doctoral students or graduate right. students, right? Usually what I hear the yeah. process is, you know, just say you have only, uh, you can only get Two doctoral students right. in that year's you know intake. Right. Uh, there's 20 candidates shortlisted. Right. Get rid of the you know the 10 who are relatively weaker. Right. And it's not, and it's still generally a very high standard. I got to admit okay. um, of candidates. The mm -hmm. candidates are super amazing. I uh, mm -hmm. it is heartbreaking to actually say to people. Uh, well, at least you know you don't see our side, but it's heartbreaking mm -hmm. when you have all these amazing candidates and you can only admit two. Mm -hmm. um, so you got to think about fit. Mm -hmm. The more competitive something is, you think about fit, mm -hmm. and you think about you know who's going to fit in the best in terms of their work, mm -hmm. their research, the mm -hmm. way they do things, 
Uh, does it fit with me as an academic? Does it fit with mm -hmm. what I want to do? Mm -hmm. So for some institutions, that's the reality. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would suggest for most institutions at the graduate level, you mm -hmm. look at fit. Mm -hmm. Do we have people who can supervise this person? Mm -hmm. Do we have individuals? Uh, does this person not only meet the academic standard, mm -hmm. um, but can we see potential for impact in the long run? Right. And so you, I guess the more competitive it is and the more applicants you have, the more mm -hmm. gradients you need to add to it. Right. And there's also a luck factor, right? Is this, luck person, plays is this person like on sabbatical? Right. The person who could take a student. Very true. Uh -huh. um, luck in so far, who's actually reading the application as well. Mm, okay. uh, so luck plays a role in many of this. And that's mm -hmm. an element that we don't really talk about a lot. It's a random mm -hmm. lottery. Mm -hmm. You, um, and this applies to not only like you know academia, right? For but everything, also corporations. for everything, right. you may have a recruiter who you know fits well with you. Mm -hmm. You have a, so many times in my uh, non-academic career, I've found that people uh, uh, on the recruiting committee who had connections with me went to the same school. Mm -hmm. We had uh, similar backgrounds. We had similar. I mean, irrespective, right? Yeah. Uh, but again, it's that trust. Mm -hmm. It's a signaling of trust. So even for like you, it reminds me of like our story, right? right. You and I like. You know, we met at Penn, right? Uh, and then I happened to end up at Oxford right. as well. And you happened to be from Oxford. Yeah. We're both Canadians. Yep. Uh, from so, Toronto. So it's a trust. Queens, visible minorities, visible minorities, similar interests. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so uh -huh. there you go right away. There's that trust that's being established. Mm -hmm. I'm more likely to hire you, and you're more likely to hire me. Right, right. Um, right. And I mean, look, it's how humans interact. It's how we behave. It's I think it's acknowledging that at step one and. Mm -hmm. I feel like we are acknowledging mm -hmm. that process in our society. It's not necessarily meritocratic in terms of hard skills. Mm -hmm. It's meritocratic in terms of maybe trust should be in our models of what is meritocratic. If mm -hmm. I trust you, I'm more likely to hire you. Because mm -hmm. why would I want to work with someone who I don't trust? That sounds like you're playing to you know both sides of the argument right now, right? right. On one hand, there's the diversity, right? Diversity higher, yes, right? Yes. Dude, I mean, it's a policy. It's attention. It's, it's attention. I get it. I mean, right. on the one hand, I want to hire people who I trust. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we need diversity. Right. Um, and so it's it's catch twenty two. It might seem like on the surface level, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a balancing act. It's balancing. It, it's a definitely a balancing mm -hmm. act. Mm -hmm. So I need to hire people who are more diverse than who, and I come from backgrounds not from my own. If I'm a, in an organization that is that needs creativity and mm -hmm. needs to progress mm -hmm. in terms For of creative destruction, creative destruction right? Actually, right. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so here's a question I'm curious about because uh, I'm sure you've supervised your share of uh, doctoral students, yes, right? Yes. Um, and, and or even like you know manage different types of people right. at, at a corporate level, right? Um, you've done corporate before, right? yes, just to be sure. Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, what are the people that you find to be the most successful, whether they're like, and I'm sure the skills overlap in terms right. of doctoral student, right. whether right. They're, they're in corporate, I mean, who are, who are the most successful people? Um, I would say people who have a myriad of experiences, mm -hmm. who have failed, mm -hmm. can pivot, mm -hmm. or resilient. In fact, I would say resiliency is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Notice I haven't said hard skills, like the smartest people, right? <laughs> right. Um, I, I did not say that. I, I said it's, uh, for the most part, it's people who are super resilient and, and have, have the capacity to, to relate to others, mm -hmm. uh, can uh, package information mm -hmm. and, and details mm -hmm. to different audiences, mm -hmm. and, and can develop that trust that's a widespreading. Mm -hmm. In Oxford, in places like Oxford, um, I mean, there's, gonna, there's a lot of geniuses there right right or, or at least you know they've always been the top of their class right, right? and probably though like you know 99 percentile in terms of iq right. or something i don't right. know 
I'm just throwing generalizations. Sure. But, but the general gist is out the there. The general gist yeah, is yeah. out there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, for the people you supervise there, have there been situations where that person can be brilliant, but they're just their soft skills are so off that's just kind of like <sighs> Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't talk about auction, but I'll talk about Cambridge when right. I was a PhD student. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cambridge is a majority science oriented university. Okay. And uh, you have some of the top minds have ever I mean, there's stuff that they're doing that I, I, it's beyond my own comprehension. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the social skills were uh, not the greatest for many. Mm-hmm. And you can see how they struggle in their lives with mm-hmm. that. Um, and that can work in, in the hard sciences uh, to, to a great extent mm-hmm. uh, by their limitations to that. That's why these types of people gravitate towards that, yeah, right? Because yeah. that's the only kind of ecosystem they can survive in and thrive. And even then, that ecosystem is changing and shifting. That the, How so? Um, you still need people to, again, um, you can have the most difficult individuals to work with or the people who don't have the social skills, mm-hmm. but you still need individuals who can um, package that information and present that information. So let me put it in a different way. You still need people to do the basic research irrespective mm-hmm. of their personalities. Right, right. But at some point, uh, those who, who get ahead beyond academia uh, are those who have the social skills. Mm-hmm. And so I can't stress that enough. It's not only hard skills. You got now. a story for that? I have so many stories about that. Give me but, some stories. But I, I mean... <sighs> like when, you think about, when you think about a person who has like you know, crazy hard skills, right. but they're devoid of soft skills... I've worked with many people like that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna single out anyone or, mm-hmm. or give you a particular story mm-hmm. for, for their privacy. But right, right, of course, um, I've worked with so many people who have uh, are so brilliant. And if you if you never encounter these people, you be like, this person's really awful as as a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up with people like this, so mm-hmm. it's it's my entire life. I've I've had people who had uh, who were super brilliant, but not necessarily socially. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, shall mm-hmm. we say, at least mm-hmm. cannot relate to the everyday. Mm-hmm. And I think they would struggle all their lives. I've seen them struggle their entire lives in terms mm-hmm. of the relationships that they have, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so in many respects, I think um, um, those, if, they were, if, they were, if they were nurtured at a very young age mm-hmm. um, to deal with these social issues and social mm-hmm. problems that they may encounter later on in life, Mm-hmm. To identify that at a young age, they can mm-hmm. they can develop strategies mm-hmm. to cope, mm-hmm. but it has to be done at a very young age. It's hard mm-hmm. to do it in adulthood, if mm-hmm. not impossible. Right, yeah. right. So for you, it almost sounds like it's, you know, it's unfortunate right. that they've never really had this kind of development. It's unfortunate because two things. When I think parents normally don't know what to do with mm-hmm. advanced kids, it's mm-hmm. even and there's a lot of literature now. There's a lot of support systems, etc. Mm-hmm. But we generally don't know how to deal and manage that because we can relate to them mm-hmm. in many respects. The second thing is, um, you know, when it's identified that these are their personalities and so forth, we don't really, we really don't focus on the soft skills enough. Mm-hmm. And I think by focusing on the soft skills, it, it gives a healthy personality, that healthy individual can be well adjusted. Mm-hmm. And you know what, in the long run, they actually do earn, if we're looking at earning potential, they earn more mm-hmm. if they have better soft skills. Right. And even with, and with the right soft skills, again, you can acquire the hard skills. Yes, but hard skills of, you can always you can always improve and acquire. Mm-hmm. Soft skills, there's there's a, I feel like there's a shorter time span for it right. to get acquired because it has to be acquired at a very young age to be fully effective. Right. Yeah. Right. All right, that's all I got today. Well, Thanks thank a lot you. for your time. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you.